0: Father, we stand here this morning and acknowledge the power in that name. By virtue of our relationship with Jesus, you've given us unlimited power. And I pray that you'll build our faith on that fact that the name of Jesus carries all power of the universe. And I pray that as as is represented here, many needs and many concerns, I just pray that, that we won't compare our our problems or our challenges or what we're facing with our abilities, but with that powerful name of Jesus, that you will release that power into our lives, that you would build faith and confidence that you are God who hears and answers prayer and that you have the power to overcome any obstacle that we face. Father, I just thank you that we can freely worship you and that as we've come into contact with you by worship, that we pray that you would change us, that you would transform us, you would open our eyes to the incredible power of God. And now, God, I pray that you'll take the word of God, the living word of God, and use it to change our lives today. Father, may we be different than when we, when we leave, than what we were when we came in, because we've met with you, and we've heard with, from your word, the living word. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's called the Iditarod. It's a race via dog sled. The Iditarod race takes place in Alaska and is across hundreds of miles of Alaska's most formidable countryside. The teams generally race through blizzards in whiteout conditions, sub-zero temperatures with gale force winds that sometimes cause the wind chill to reach minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit, even colder than Wisconsin. It usually starts um, on a trail in Willow and runs up the rainy Pass of the Alaska Range and into the, through the po- par- un- unpopulated area of the interior, then to the Bering Sea and along that to Nome, Alaska. And men and women have raced the Iditarod and probably found that it is the most challenging, most dangerous race in the entire world. It makes reality shows like Survivor and The Amazing Race look like a walk in the park. The contestants face high risks. The risks of the race include freezing to death, um, attacks by wild animals, getting lost in blinding blizzards, exhaustion and even death. The contestants also face months of preparation, breeding the right dogs for their 16 dog sled team, training the dogs for endurance and performance, feeding and caring for the dogs, the physical conditioning of the racers themselves and the mental preparation, months and months of hard work in marginal conditions. The contestants also have high stakes. There are financial stakes. that You can make a fortune or make nothing. You can make huge breeding fees if you have a winning dog team. You can have fame or you can lose your life. The risks of the race. Most of us would rather do a 5K run walk or play it safe or just watch the race from the comfort of our family room couch, but whatever. Today is Palm Sunday. It's a remembrance of the day Jesus took his last journey at the end of his race here on earth. He was going on into the city of Jerusalem. He had run an incredible race and was in the final leg of his journey. His race was filled with enormous risks that would ultimately cost him his life. And of course, this Friday, Good Friday and Easter, we're going to be celebrating that part of his life. And like it or not, all of us are in a race. We're all in a race. It's not a spectator sport, but a challenging, difficult race that carries risks. And as we return today, we're gonna to take one, one Sunday on our series, Unstoppable God, the book of Acts. We're gonna look at someone who carried forward this risky race that Jesus exemplified and preceded our race as well. It's the apostle Paul, in his own words, he describes the risks of the race that he ran. The risk, the costs, and the stakes, and great rewards, and I want to see how that applies to our lives today. So I'd like you to turn with me to Acts 20. Acts, the twentieth chapter. We're going to look at just one verse initially, and we'll be returning to the to the chapter several times during the message today. Acts 20 is on page 902 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. If you're looking for that, pa- page 902. Acts 20. We're going to read verse 24. Paul is speaking, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. As we look at this chapter today, we're going to look at, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, am I willing to take the same risks? Am I willing to take the same risks? Number two, am I willing to pay the high costs? And number three, do I know how high the stakes are? Do I know how high the stakes are? This passage is part of a farewell address that Paul gives to the leadership from the church at Ephesus. And he outlines the risks that he has taken for them. And I wanna see what we can learn from Paul's examples as we are also in a risk. His first risk, first thing we find is high risks, high risks, and his first risk was something called time. time. Paul spent three years, day and night, working with these people and spending time. Time, when we give time, we, we value it. Time is a, is a valuable commodity. And whenever we give time, we risk wasting it. We invest time. And whenever we give time, there's always a risk involved. If you're like me, you hate to waste time. I, I hate waiting at red lights. It's, it's a waste of time. Or time in lines or stopped in traffic on a freeway time waiting in a doctor's office or time wait, waiting for someone to meet you for an appointment time is valuable and when we give it away it may risk being mishandled or wasted i remember a tv commercial several years ago that showed a drive-through time bank a drive-through time bank and they came through in the cars And the first guy said i would like two extra hours the next guy said i would like a day please then the, the guy came by and said just give me a minute and one, the last one, said, can I have until tomorrow morning? It was, a, it was a picture of the value of time based on a bank. Following Jesus, running the race, carries with it the giving of time and giving of ourselves. And that can be risky. How do you give of your time? If you're rearing children, everything's for the kids. Maybe you're caring for an aging parent. Maybe you are spend all your time going to soccer games, concerts, plays, and swim meets, and track meets. Maybe it's ministry to junior high or high school students or leading a connect group or visiting shut-ins, giving of time. Whenever we give of time, it's an investment, and it carries risks, risks of giving yourself time. The second risk Paul took, Jesus took, was letter B, tears, tears. In verse 19, he said, I have served the Lord with great humility and with tears. In verse 31, he says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And then verses 36 and 37, he talks about, about, about weeping and spending time in tears. Paul shed a lot of tears in his lifetime. The question is why? Why did Paul cry? Why did he shed tears? Because he loved and he grieved. He loved and he grieved. Tears are a demonstration of intense passion, love, and caring. Love carries those kinds of risks. If you love, you're carrying the risk of shedding tears. When we care, we have love and passion, we sometimes shed tears. Maybe somebody let us down, or maybe we just identify with someone else's grief and pain. Or you watch a romantic comedy and something causes you to cry. Shedding tears shows that we really care. And sometimes we would rather protect ourselves from caring so much so we don't grieve. But our race includes the pain of tears. And I can guarantee you, if we had time today, every person here could share that they have had their time of tears because we love. Jesus shed tears, Paul shed tears, and we will shed tears. Now, sometimes we shed tears just because it's plain tough going. It's just t- tough going. There was a father who loved to hike, and he wanted to pass his love of hiking on to his son, Peter. His, Peter, his son Peter was five years old. And so he scheduled and, and put together an easy hike in the northern part of the Appalachian Trail. They were to go around a mountain to a lake and have a great day in and day out hike. So he made the preparation for the trip, and, and he was coaching his son. And over and over, he told him, now, son, it's gonna to be tough. It's going, you're just gonna to have to keep walking. It's okay to be tired, but you just have to keep walking. Now, unfortunately, as they took this hike, they got lost, and instead of going around the mountain, they went over the mountain. And all of a sudden, this was way more than a five-year-old could handle, and he was falling, and there were rocks and trees, and before he knew it, he had fallen so many times, the knees had worn out of his, uh, of his jeans, and he was, he was bleeding. The hike was not a joy anymore. It was a burden. Finally, after one last fall, too many, little Peter, age five, sat down and just started crying. As his father approached him, he wanted to tell him something, and Peter cut him off, and he said, I know, Dad. It's okay to cry as long as I keep walking. Wow. Sometimes... We just have to keep walking, but it's okay to cry. Tears are part, part of the risk of our race. So it's okay to cry as long as I keep walking. Closely related to tears, risks of the race, is something called testing. Testing, letter C. In verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility and tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. For much of his life, Paul had a contract out a price on his head now we we see that on tv programs and movies and there's a contract out for somebody it's part of the plot and it's kind of interesting but how many of us know what it's like to actually have a contract on our life that you have to worry about life and death constantly because someone has put a price on your head paul had a price on his head his entire life his entire life talk about testing he experienced gross injustice for doing good and right as you go through the end, end of the book of acts you see all the things that he experienced testing testing how many of you guys can say i've been i've been shafted or i've experienced injustice i did the right thing and got fired from my job or i was honest with my friend and now she won't speak to me testing we all experience in our race one of the risks is testing. There's a good friend of ours who lives in Southern California, and he told about experience in he and his wife's life. They had, they had this incredible year, business was great, and they decided they saved up for our trip to Europe. Everything was going great in their life. So they took this trip to Europe, and his wife fell and severely injured her back. She was in chronic pain. She couldn't work. She lost her job, and with it, her health insurance. He discovered that during a routine physical, he had prostate cancer. Talk about testing, all in one short amount of time. After this great year they had, all of a sudden a time of testing. I asked them, how are you guys managing? He said this, this has been a rocky year, a time of testing of our faith. We've had to focus on God and God alone. Testing. How do we know if our faith works if it's never tested? Dave Goetz wrote an article entitled Suburban Spirituality. You can probably figure out what it says from Suburban Spirituality. He writes this. Often I am not attuned to my true spiritual needs. Thinking that I know my true spiritual needs is arrogant, narcissistic, and so American. He speaks of allowing God's grace to work on the unsanded surfaces of my inner life. I love that picture. Working on God's hand, working on the unsanded inner surfaces of my life. Then he quotes from the 17th century mystic Francois Fenelon. He says, "Slowly, you will learn that all the troubles in your life, your job, your health, your inward failings, are really cures to the poison of your old nature. Cures to the poison of your old nature. Testing. Wow." One of the risks of the race. It happens in the Iditarod, and it happens in real life. It can help cure the poison of our old nature. The fourth risk Paul took was testifying. Testifying. In verse 24, it says, Paul testified to the gospel of God's grace. The word testify is to be an eyewitness and and to share what you've seen and heard. It's, It's an eyewitness account to testify. And Paul testified to the gospel of God's grace, telling people about Jesus and what he had done. Now, when we share with others how Jesus has changed our life, or we share our our personal faith, we face a risk. There's a risk. There's usually two reactions. There's either acceptance or rejection. Either acceptance or rejection. And sometimes we're like those potential witnesses in the court of law who refuse to testify because they may be cross-examined. You you can testify, but then you're going to be cross-examined. And sometimes we're really... Paranoid about being cross-examined we we share our faith and then somebody cross-examines us and it makes us look Incredulous or stupid or we don't know what to say people will cross-examine us if we testify about Jesus Christ And that's a risk when you share your personal faith You may be cross-examined Paul was the fifth risk is teaching teaching in verses 20 and 27. He talks about teaching and now how can teaching be Risky Have you ever heard your son or daughter say to mom, dad taught me to do that. Dad taught me that. We were out out to dinner as a family, our our two daughters and Judy and me at a a really nice restaurant. I don't remember which restaurant it was, but I remember the uh, the event. And Brittany, my oldest daughter, did the fork trick. I don't know if you've ever seen the fork trick. It's a great trick. I'll, I'll have to show it. If you invite me to dinner, I'll show it to you sometime. But anyway, it's it's a glass. You set a glass up and you put the base of the fork with the tines and the other one right behind it. Okay, and and what you do is you wait until the waitress comes and you make it look really nonchalant and you just kind of go on the one end and it flips a fork right into the glass. It looks like, whoa, what happened? You know, and it freaks out the waitress and everything else. And so Brittany, who's very athletically inclined, set it up. I, I saw what she was doing. Judy didn't notice. And all of a sudden the waitress comes and she goes, and boom, this fork trick goes in. And, and, oh my goodness, it was like perfect. It was brilliant. And, uh, the waitress left the table, and 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 Judy waited until she left and scolded Brittany. and Said, "What did you do that for? You're not this is a nice restaurant." And my daughter said, "Dad taught it to me. It's <laughs> fault. Teaching can be can have a risk to it. It can have, now." James three one. It says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. See, if I taught it, I may be responsible, and I also better do it. So there's a risk of teaching. And as we teach, it's a risk we take. Those of you that are called to teaching, no matter who you teach or what you teach or how you mentor, there's a risk to teaching. So those are risks, risks of the race. Let's look at the high costs we have risks, then we, secondly, we have high costs. It costs to follow Jesus. It costs to run the race. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is a whole message in itself, but it has in here, it has words like perseverance, it has joy, it has endurance, it talks about shame. It talks about the costs to running a race, the cost to running a race. And it says here, it says, run the race marked out for us. In other words, there is a race marked out for you. Now if you've ever run cross country and I, I ran cross country one season, That was all. Um, You know that you must follow the prescribed course when you race. You can't just take off on your own or create a shortcut. Don't follow the markers. You'll get lost and, and end up going out of your way, and you'll definitely lose the race. Each of us has a race in front of us, placed by God. Each of us is at a different place, on the race course. Each of us have have a different set of obstacles. Each of us have a different timetable, different expectations, different challenges, different injuries, different hurts, even different costs, all based on different abilities. But all of us are in a race going somewhere. There's a race that God has set before you. He has a plan for your life, a race for you to run. For Paul, His race cost him. What were the costs? First of all was his reputation. Reputation. Paul was following Jesus, obeying God, and people were trying to destroy his reputation. For some of us, following Christ has had an effect on our reputation. Might be positive, might be negative. I've heard people say, like, she used to be so much fun, now she won't do anything. Or he used to be a great party, or now he won't even come to parties. We used to get high together, now not at all. Or he used to blow hundreds of dollars at the casino. Or now they're just too good for the rest of us. Reputation. Our reputation is affected by our life in Jesus Christ. And Paul's cost was his reputation. The second cost is self-preservation. Second, self-preservation. If you want to preserve yourself, don't, don't raise the idea to Rod raise, okay? Don't you know that's that's expending of yourself the amount that you expend of yourself time and energy and emotions is a high cost and and, and we like comfort and, and self preservation it's part of part of who we are we try to preserve us in every way possible whether it's taking lo- blood pressure medication or or some kind of statin or putting these creams or stuff you know whatever it is we want to we want to preserve ourselves and we like Self-preservation. And the cost of this race for Paul and for us is to expend ourselves. To expend ourselves. There was a man named Clifford Holland who was a 36-year-old engineer in New York City in the early 1900s. He actually helped to build New York City's subway system. And in 1919, he was chosen to construct the tunnel under the Hudson River. Had not been done before. Holland and his men designed the first mechanical ventilation system for a tunnel so a car exhaust wouldn't kill the drivers. Good idea, good idea. It was completed in 1927, and the four lane 1.6 mile tunnel was the first ventilated automobile tunnel. But Holland, a husband and father of four daughters, never saw the first vehicle pay the 50 cent toll and drive the eight minutes from state to state. He died of exhaustion at age 41, before the tunnel was completed. The tunnel was named after him, the Holland Tunnel. You may have driven through it. He totally expended himself because he was not concerned about self-preservation. Now, that's an extreme example. But one of the risks of our race, the risk that Jesus took, the risk that Paul took, the risk that we are called to take is giving of ourselves jesus did so paul did can we what are we saving ourselves for that's the question the third fo- cost for paul was incarceration incarceration in verse 23 in verse 23 it says I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. If you've read through the rest of the, of the book of Acts, you find, you find, of course, that he's already been in prison several times, and he ends up taking this journey going to Rome and living in incarceration many times in his life. It was an incredible risk that he took. It has to do with freedom or the freedoms, prison and hardship. Paul was giving up his physical freedom as he had done many, many times. Now, there are Christians in other parts of the world that are giving up their physical freedom to follow Jesus. The most publicized ones, of course, we find in the Middle East, those that are being, are being tortured and murdered by Islamic extremists. But probably the most prevalent place where Christians are being incarcerated is North Korea. There are literally hundreds of thousands of Christians who are In concentration camps because they're believers in Jesus Christ. Concentration camps, worse or as bad as Auschwitz in World War II. Costs, there's a cost. High costs. Reputation, self preservation, giving up self preservation, incarceration. And then letter D is separation. Separation. Twice in verse 25 and 38, Paul says, I will never see them again. Now, most of us don't associate separation with following Jesus. But if God calls you, or has called anybody in your family to missions away from home and family or ministry away from home and family, it's a cost of separation. It's interesting that that the disciples wanted to know some of the costs ahead of time and and the benefits. What are the costs and benefits of following Jesus? And and Peter, in this one uh, instance in Matthew Uh, 19 27 says Peter answered him we have left everything to follow you what then will there be for us in other words what's in it for me (laughs) what's what's going to be in it for me and Jesus said to him I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne which that's a long time away still you You who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's a risk. That's a cost. And be mindful of that. We support missions and missionaries. Be mindful of that as we look at those that have Sacrificed, home, family, and they are on remote locations serving Jesus Christ. There's a cost. Your cost may be different. can be the same. So high risks and high costs. Let's look at the high stakes. High stakes. I know it's almost lunch. That's not a beef steak. It's a, this is a different kind of steak. What is that steak here? What's that steak here? In the Iditarod race, there's money, fame, fortune, and return on investment. Why run the race? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Well, Paul talks about the stakes here. They're not everything that we would think about. But Paul in chapter 20 talks about the incredible stakes. And what is that risk? Why, do, why did he run the race and why do we run the race? Number one, letter A is the value of people. Value of people. Verse 28 talks about the church of God which he bought with his own blood. There's nothing There's nothing more valuable than life. And Jesus gave his. He bought the church. He bought you, your redemption, your life with his blood. He gave his life for you. Because your life is valuable. God values you so much. He risked it all and everything to buy you back. We are redeemed, which means we're bought Back, We're were ransomed. He gave his life as a ransom. Why did he do that? Because people matter to God. People matter. You matter to God. You were so valuable that he gave his life for you. He gives the example of Having 100 sheep and 99 are safe and secure, there's one lost. And he leaves those and he goes off to find the one that's lost because people matter to God. The stakes are high because you are valuable. Secondly, the the stakes are high because of the value of our inheritance. The value of our inheritance. What, what do I mean by that? It's not, it's, we're not talking in, in inheritance from getting from our parents or people that pass away and leave you in their will. We're talking about something different. The value of our, our inheritance. Our inheritance has something to do with, with, with what's called sanctification. Sanctification. You're going to see a little theology today. Sanctified means to be set apart for God's use. Now, what does that mean? Our character, our inner self, That's the real you. That's the part that's going to live forever. Our bodies, as much as we don't like to think about it, our bodies will someday be gone, and they'll be be dead and gone. But there's there's a part of us, the real you, the soul, the internal person that's going to live forever. That's who we are. And our inheritance, sanctification, is the perfecting of our person, becoming like Jesus. This life is short compared to the rest of eternity. This life is the time that God is working on our lives in our race to perfect us and to make us like Jesus. Now there are three aspects to sanctification. First one is is positional sanctification, positional sanctification. We have this from the moment we're born again, we're set apart, and we've been given the inheritance of of eternal life. That means that we have eternal life. If something happens, we'll go to heaven, okay? Then number two, there's progressive sanctification. Our daily growth, this is our daily growth in becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, we don't have to wear what would Jesus do bracelets in order for us to practice sanctification, They don't have to remind us because the Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus Christ, he slowly begins to transform us more and more daily to become more like Jesus. And our nature changes and we become more like Jesus. You don't have to stop and think, is this something Jesus would do? You just do what Jesus would do because your nature's changed and we're becoming like Jesus. That's progressive sanctification and it's a lifetime process. that goes on and on and on. And that's the part of us that will live forever. The person that we become and are made into while we're here on earth. And then there's ultimate sanctification. One day we're gonna be perfect. Sinless, but it doesn't happen till death. Okay, just you know, you have to wait. Wait till you die before you're perfect. Some of us think we're perfect now, and we like to think we're perfect. We're perfectionists, whatever. But we will not be perfect until we die in Christ. That's ultimate sanctification. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism and the founder of the Wesleyan Church, uh, his doctrines thought for a while that perfection was possible on earth. And this was, this was something that was spread uh, wide and around at, at one time. He had a wonderful experience with God at a place called Aldersgate. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and had an incredible passion for God, passion for the lost, and an incredible passion for holiness to be right with God. He thought he had re- reached what he called entire sanctification. He didn't think he was going to sin again. And he preached about it. You can read his sermons as he wrote them. And he, he said, this is attainable. This is where I am today. There's only one problem. He sinned again. And again. And again. And as you read his sermons, we see how he moderated his position from ultimate sanctification, entire sanctification, to more progressive sanctification. And at the end of his life, he wrote in his sermons that total perfection, entire sanctification, would only come in the next life once we die. And that's what we are becoming. And when we die in Jesus Christ and go on, that is our inheritance, who we have become. That's part of the stakes. Those are the stakes of this life. Value of our inheritance. Secondly, there's the value of our destiny. This is huge, the value of our destiny. And I'm not speaking about America's manifest destiny, destined to become the greatest nation on earth. I'm talking about our final destination, our final destination. What we do in this life determines our destination forever. Heaven or hell, there's only two places. Determines our destination. The stakes are very, very high. Where are we gonna spend eternity? We cannot earn our destiny. It's not something we earn. Maybe you've been asked this question, but I'll ask it today for everybody. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Answers vary from yes to no to I don't know. Well, the second question, suppose you did die tonight and stood before God. And he asked, why should I let you in my heaven? what would you you say? What would our answers be? I'm pretty good. I I went to church. I I gave money to charity. I'm better than most people. I I tried to follow the golden rule. Um, That will not work. It's not going to cut it because we can't earn our destiny. It's a gift given to us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace is undeserved favor. Eternal life, our destination, is determined not by what we do, but what Jesus has done, and he's given as a gift, and we just receive a gift. You can't earn a gift. You have to just accept it, and that gift, Jesus, has been offered to each and every one of us, and that determines our destination. That determines our destination. In Acts 20, 21, Paul said, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Repentance means I'm truly sorry for my past wrongs and sins, and I make a 180 degree turn, turning away from the past and all the way of life, turning to God. Some people say I'm sorry, but they never turn to God. They never change direction. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry for my sin, the direction and I'm turning to God. That's what repentance is. That is the, the beginning of new life. And that is the beginning of turning to God. And that will determine my destiny, my destination. The stakes are, could not be higher. If you're here this morning and want to make sure of your destination, I encourage you to do that, to repent, turn to God, believe in Jesus, because he can give you a brand new start today. Now, for believers who've already made that decision, there's one final stake of this race, one final stake, and that's the value of our legacy, the value of our legacy. What legacy will you leave your children and those who follow after you? a legacy of success and wealth, a legacy of self-preservation? Or are we doing something in our race to make a true difference, to make our life count? The value of legacy. Paul has an incredible legacy. I say has because you and I are part of that legacy. The lasting impact, the declaration of what Jesus has done and can do your value to God. How's your race going? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us an example of a guy who ran an incredible race, the, uh, the Apostle Paul. And I thank you that that we can see from his example that it's not an easy race it's not easy and I pray Lord Jesus that you would continue to challenge us in our race that we would know you I pray for those that don't know you Jesus this morning that they would desire and want to meet you because our eternal destiny is at stake I pray that you'll affirm to everyone here that they matter to you and, and you cared so much that you died so they could have this eternal life with you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your grace, speak to each and every one this morning. I'd like us to leave our, our heads bowed for just a moment. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Pray for all of you. If there's anybody here that has not ever made that decision. You don't know where your destiny is going to be, but you want to follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Thank you. Anybody else? Put it up, slip right up and down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to be sure the stakes are high. This is is eternal. It's forever. Father, we know that you see the hearts of each individual. And I just pray, God, that you would, would be able to give confirmation of this step of faith for each person. For those that maybe needed to make the step but didn't have the courage to, or, or didn't want to raise their hands, I just pray, God, that no one would leave here today without knowing that they have that and that the risk of the race are worth every, every bit of it. And I just pray that you'll give us courage, knowing that nothing is impossible. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? No matter what your race is and where you are, next Sunday, remember, the service is at 10 at 930 Before the service and then after the service, we'll be serving refreshments. One of the great things that we can do is we can come and spend time in the cafe in the lobby and get to know people from the second service who will also be joining you. uh, I mean, from the first service, also joining you from the second service and get to know people. That's one of the opportunities we like to uh, provide uh, several times a year. So next Sunday, uh, remember Friday night, 7 o'clock here at communion service and then next Sunday. May the God of peace